Good morning. Um, I'm thankful that in times like this and when difficult times come and uh, trials and challenges come, I'm, I'm thankful uh, that we know that God's with us. I'm thankful that we can look to the cross and see that God is good. We look to the fulfillment of all the promises that he's fulfilled through Christ and in our lives and we know that he's faithful we can look around us and see his power even through creation and we know he's in control that he's sovereign and when I look at those three things and and I, I think about this a lot when I know that he's good I know that he's faithful I know that he's sovereign and I know that I can trust him and in times where we don't understand and when there's difficulties and we face those things, we know that God's there, that he'll never leave us nor forsake us, that when our faith is placed in Christ, we become one with him and that he's in us, we're in him and that nothing can change that, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so I'm thankful for that um, this morning. Uh, today uh, for the message, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and uh, we're going to be looking at um, the writings of Paul and really looking at this, this writing that he uh, wrote to the Corinthian church and um, he's writing to them and he's really in a position, if you read the letters that Paul wrote, many times you see this in his writings, that he's writing to defend the position that God has put him in as an apostle, as one who um, has been called to lead the church. He, he's defending that because many times these false teachers will come against him to undermine this apostleship. Um, they come in to elevate themselves rather than Christ. And so um, he's really defending the calling that God's given him in, in the passages we're about to read. Um, it's also, he, he's defending the gospel, uh, the gospel of um, Jesus taking our sin upon himself, dying on the cross, being punished, taking the wrath of God for our sin in our place. Um, the, the condemnation of sin went on him. He died for all that those who would believe, those who put their belief and trust, their faith in Jesus will be saved and given the righteousness that he has, the righteousness we can never attain on our own. And he's trying to preserve this. He's trying to preserve it from becoming, again, a works-based um, gospel, which is really no gospel. He's trying to preserve it from becoming something that um, is in error. And so this is where we're at. Paul is trying to get them to see that his labors for them is a labor of love. He's trying to get them to see that even through his weaknesses and the trials and the strain of, of the ministry that he's done, the persecutions that he's been through, even though those things are taking his physical life, he's wanting them to see that his labor is done. And the reason he does those things is because of the love that God has given him. And this reconciliation, this, this bridging of the gap between him and God that his sin had caused, he wants them to see that the reason I do what I do is not to elevate myself. It's so that you can understand the power of God's love in Christ that reconciles us to him. 
And that's what he's fighting for. That's why he's writing. He's trying to keep them from being deceived by these false teachers away from a relationship with Christ, keeping them from coming to a place where they, again, are trying to um, earn or maintain their salvation apart from faith and adding works. And so this is what we're reading. This is what we're about to talk about. Paul, at the end of chapter 4, he says this. He says, listen, the trials and the difficulties I've had, the persecutions, all of these things, he says, I recognize that they're temporary. He says, I recognize that these aren't going to last. And he said, I know this, that what I'm going through and what I'm doing is preparing me for glory. And in light of the glory that I'll be in, that I will live in forever, these momentary trials, momentary difficulties, pains, hurts. He says, look, in light of the glory of God that we're going to be in forever, he says, there's no comparison. And so that's where he's kind of ending chapter 4, talking about the temporary nature of this life. Chapter 5, it goes, and he, he begins, he says in verse 1, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead, of, instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is unseen. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who lived should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your heart for us, your love, God, for us. I thank you for the power of your spirit. I, I, I thank you, God, that today, um, Lord, that we would not walk in deception, um, God, but we would walk in your truth. Um, God, we pray against any spirit of deception that uh, was brought into this place, any, um, uh, anything that would um, lead us away from your truth and into lies. Lord, we rebuke the father of lies, who is Satan. And God, um, we, we pray that uh, the veil of deception strongholds in our mind, inaccurate ways of thinking would be arrested by your truth today. 
and that, God, we would come to the realization of our reconciliation with you and that, God, we would leave here rejoicing, not in anything other than you, but that your name would be the name on our lips. God, we thank you for that and we thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit who is here with us now. Oh, we ask you that you would give your church ears to hear what he is saying to us today, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. I was thinking about this passage and Paul talking about the temporary nature of the body. And uh, I, I actually, uh, back in June, towards the end of June, I started going back to the gym and working out. Uh, nobody's noticed, but I have been doing that. And, um, and so, yeah, yeah, whatever. And so, anyway... Started going back to the gym. Been working really hard. Anybody that sees me there can, can tell you, like, I leave and I look like I've been in the shower with my clothes on. And so, um, I, not hard to believe, I'm sure, if you see me preach and sweat. So, anyway, but I, I've been working really hard, doing my best, I'm trying to be consistent. And, and this is no lie. Since the end of June, I've been doing all of this. I have lost zero pounds. In fact, after the first two months, I had gained weight. And, and, and here's the thing, thank that's not something to, re yeah, and so anyway, somebody yelled muscle, don't try to console me, I know what's up, right, and, and, and here's the thing is everybody, everybody, everybody says this, they're all like, well, muscle weighs more than fat, but my belt hasn't changed, right, I'm still in the second hole in my belt, and the third one, I'm not even sniffing it, it's not even close, and so I've been working and doing all this stuff and, 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 you know, and then somebody told me, they're like, well, you know, a bad, you can't outwork a bad diet. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm just going to be fat the rest of my life. <laughs> and so, but I'm doing all this. And, and, and the funny thing about it, y'all, is when I was 35, when I was 37, when I was 39, even 40 maybe, and I would decide, I'm going to get back in the gym. I'm going to start running. I'm going to start doing something. I'm going to start working out again. It, it wouldn't be any time. Like, I could focus for, for just a short period of time, and weight starts coming off. I'm building muscle, you know, and, and, and things are happening. I can tell in my pants. I can tell in my belt. All this stuff. At 42, I don't know what happened from 40 to 42, but I could run from here to California and not lose weight. It's the craziest thing. And, and what it's really showed me is like your body just really changes over time. I mean, it's not going to last forever. Things don't stay the same as they were when you were younger. Things begin to happen, right? And, and it's not going to last forever. And when I read this about Paul, I feel like that's part of what he's wanting them to see is, look, this, this tense this body that we live in, it's, it's temporary. He's saying, but I don't lose confidence. I don't lose faith. I continue on because my hope is not in this body. My hope is in heaven. My hope is not in me. My hope is in Christ. He's saying, I keep on going. I keep on pushing. I keep on striving and straining, not 
because I'm putting hope in what I can do or how I can elevate myself or make my life better. He's saying, I don't come to you preaching for that. I don't come to you preaching for self-preservation. He's saying, I come to you preaching because of what God's done in my heart. And he goes on at the end of that first paragraph. And he says, and so God has even poured out his spirit in me and in us who have faith in Christ. And he says, and this is the guarantee of what's to come. And so Paul's not looking around him to find hope. Paul is looking within him. Paul is looking at the spirit inside. He knows that he has received God's spirit. And it's not that Paul never had times of anxiety or that his faith couldn't be shaken somewhat. But Paul knew that there was someone on the inside of him that was greater than anything he could face in the world. And it brought peace. It brought peace. I know Susan and I, we had, in our family, we had a little bit of a health scare this week. And, you know, that's something that we don't usually do very good with. Um, we've had a lot of health stuff in our family. And we don't usually do really good when that kind of thing pops up. And when this thing happened this week, we were kind of like, you know, man, you know, and at first you could feel that panic coming. And then I don't know how to explain it. It was, you know, probably about close to 24 hours or so before we um, found out everything was okay. But neither she nor I are ones who do well in that situation. And I can't explain it. It, it really is the peace that passes understanding. But in that time that we were waiting to know and get answers, there was just a peace that was there. And I can't explain it. I'm not good in those situations. Susan's really not good in those situations. No offense, honey. But the peace that she had in that was crazy. And here's the thing is that I'll be the first one to tell you that I can't stand up there, up here, and say that that peace came from us just being mighty warriors of faith. It came from God. It came from God. There's the only way to explain it. And as I look at this, I feel like that's what Paul wants them to see is that my hope and my, my life is not bound up in what's around. My ministry is not bound up in circumstances and trying to build my kingdom. He's saying, my ministry that God's called me to, it's bound up in proclaiming the kingdom and that you can be reconciled. And if you have faith in Christ, you have been reconciled to God by faith in him. And I believe he wants them to see this. He wants them to see it because he wants them to know I'm not here preaching Paul. I'm here preaching Christ. I'm here proclaiming truth. He goes on and he talks about how he's confident. He says, I don't live by sight. These, these men and, uh, had come in and these false teachers and they were, were deceiving the people. They were deceiving them and leading them astray away from the gospel. 
And Paul says, look, you're looking at these men and they come in and they're eloquent in speech and they boast about experiences they've had with God and all these things. And he said, but you're looking at the outside. Look at their heart. Realize that you don't need to be persuaded by those who are elevating themselves. You need to be persuaded by the truth of the gospel. And yet there's a spirit of deception, I believe, that is in the church today that keeps us from seeing the true identity of Jesus, that keeps us from seeing our true identity in Christ, that keeps us from seeing the true purpose for which we were created and the true purpose for which Christ was created. But the good news for us is this, when we come to Jesus and we come to the truth and we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, then the veil is lifted. The power of the Spirit can open our eyes so we don't look at what the world tells us as the truth. We come to God's Word as the truth, and the truth sets us free. But we got to see this, and Paul wants them to see, look, what I'm telling you is truth. He wants them to understand, look, I'm not here to build my reputation or my ministry. He wants them to understand I'm not impressed by human things or human beings. He even goes on and says, look, because all of this is true and the spirit inside me witnesses to the fact that this is true. He says, I aim to please him. He says, look, I, I, I don't. I don't look to please myself. I don't look to please everybody else. What I look to do is please him because I know where I'll spend eternity. I know where my help comes from. I know where my peace comes from. I know where my strength comes from. I know who loved me so much that they went to the cross. And in light of that, how can I not live my life to please him? He even says this in verse 10, that we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one can receive what is due us, what was done in the body, whether good or bad. He's not talking about salvation. If you're in Christ, you won't stand before Jesus to be judged for salvation or damnation. But you'll stand before Christ to give account to, to, for rewards, for um, approval, for, his, um, for him to see and Look at the life we've lived, whether good or bad. And he says, because of this, our conscience is clear. Look, we're here to do what God put us here to do. We're here to preach the truth, not what we think, not our opinion, but God's truth that has authority. You can trust in what we're saying. He says, since we know what it is to fear the Lord. He says, since we have this reverential um, um, respect for God, this awe of God, since we know who he is and what he's like and what he's done, since we've experienced him by the power of his spirit, he says, since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. He's saying, look, we want this for everybody. That's why we preach. He tells them we're not commending ourselves. We want you to take pride in us and, and to listen to the message so that you can stand against these men who are coming to you and teaching you lies, who are leading you into deception. He says for the Christ, this is in verse 14, for Christ's love compels us 
He says, because we're convinced that one died for all. And when you look at this, this is a huge thing for the apostle Paul. Remember, this is the same man who was persecuting the church. This is the same man that was arresting, even killing Christians. And now he's saying, Christ's love compels me to carry forward this ministry of reconciliation. He's saying, look, this is, this is my new life. This is how I am. And I want you to see that when he encountered Jesus, when he saw who Jesus was clearly, when he could understand Jesus, not as some man who died like a criminal, but he was able to see him as the risen son of God, the lamb of God who came to save the world and take away the sin of the world. When he saw him, he quit being motivated by hate for Jesus, and he began to be compelled by Jesus' love for him. It changed it. He, he saw it differently by seeing Jesus and his true identity and his true purpose of reconciling. He goes on and he says, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised, for the, raised again. And so when you look at this, what's Paul saying? He's again saying, look, I once lived as this religious leader who was living for himself. I don't live that way any longer. In light of what God has done, in light of who God is, he's saying the reasonable thing, once you see that clearly, is to lay down your life, to offer it as a living sacrifice to, to, to God. This is an act of worship. Our life becomes an act of worship. And what he's telling us is when you see this, when he saw this, it changed from living for Paul to living for Christ. It wasn't something he had to do. It was something that he was compelled to do because he encountered the love of God. And, and so you see where he's no longer motivated by hate. He's motivated by love. He's no longer uh, motivated to promote himself. He's motivated to elevate Christ. He no longer lives for himself. He lives for Jesus. And all of this comes from the love of God poured out into his heart. He goes on there in verse 16. He says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. What's he talking about? A different way of seeing. He saw Jesus. He saw, he, he no longer hated, he loved. He no longer lived for himself, he lived for God. Why? Because even though he once held Jesus as a criminal who got what he deserved, when he met Christ and he came to salvation, he came to faith in him, he realized he's the son of God. He's the savior of the world. And it changed everything. It changed. The veil, the deception was lifted. Paul's mind could then begin to be renewed to see differently. He says they once regarded Christ in a worldly way, but we don't anymore. And it's changing how we see everything. We're no longer deceived to think that life is about what we see. We know that there's a greater reality that is unseen. 
And he says, and this brought me out of this deception. Don't fall back into this. Don't let them lead you astray. Trust what I'm saying. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And so what's he saying is once I saw clearly and now I don't look at Jesus in a worldly way. I don't even look at people in a worldly way. I don't look at Jew or Gentile, male or female, rich or poor, good or bad. I see things through the lens of Christ now because Christ has become clear to me. And he says all this, this, this new creation, this going from hate to love, this going from, from um, selfishness to selflessness and living for Christ. He says this has happened because of faith in him. And when I came to faith in him, I was placed in him by that faith. And now I've become a new creation. So that all of these things he goes on to say in, in verse 18, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And what I want you to see that Paul is saying is that me being a new creation, me coming to a place of being motivated by love, not hate, me coming to a place of living for Christ, not myself. He's saying, look, it's not because I'm good. He's saying all this is from God. He's saying if you just look at the gospel, that Jesus paid our debt, that Jesus took our place, that Jesus took our condemnation, that Jesus came to reconcile us. If we'll look at the cross and see that at the cross there's an intersection, a display of God's love and God's wrath all at one time in Christ, that he took the wrath because of his love for us. If we can begin to see that, if we can begin to see him, if we can just begin to see who we were before Jesus and the new creation we become after faith in Jesus and we recognize that all of this is from God, not from me. It's simply the work of Jesus in my life. Then how can I not begin to worship him? The veil begins to lift and I no longer live for what I see. I begin to live for the one who saved me. And see, when we begin to recognize, see, see, when Jesus becomes bigger and we begin to magnify the Lord, when, when Jesus becomes bigger and we begin to declare his wonders and we declare his praise, he's magnified. He gets bigger and the fear of man begins to fall. The fear of man begins to lose its power. The fear of man is no longer a snare so that I can live my life on purpose with, for Jesus in this ministry of reconciliation that he goes on and tells us we've now been given. My purpose for existence changes. The power in my life changes. I come to a place where the truth really sets me free because I recognize this authority in my life. That I come to a place where the Spirit really gives me boldness to live as an alien here on earth because I know this isn't my true home. I know that when this tent fails, what's going to happen is I'm going to go to heaven and one day God's going to have a, a building, a body for me that is permanent. Bless God. And, and listen, I'll have abs. Abs. That's my only request. I won't own a shirt in heaven. Never had them before. But, but the thing is, guys, look, he's looking not at 
the world. He, he's saying, look, don't be deceived by what's in the world. Stand in the truth. Recognize that you became a new creation, not by what you did, but by what God's done. It's all from God. And y'all, I'm just telling you, and this is, this isn't even something I believe is true. This is what I know is true. This is what I know is true. That if we see clearly what Jesus has done and we see clearly who he is, we see clearly who we were and the gap he bridged to make us right with him, there is no way we can live our life without worshiping him. No way. There's no way we can't come to the reasonable conclusion that I should offer my life a living sacrifice in light of what he's done. How do we see the power of God in our life? How do we see this happen? How does the veil lift? How do it all happens by the spirit of God working in our life? Uh, it, it happens when we press into God. We press into God. We pursue him. We press into him. Not because it's something we have to do, but because I can. Because I can come boldly before his throne of grace. I press into his word, not because I have to, but because I want to see him. I want to see again what he's done. I want to see again this whole plan of the Bible that, that God revealed to us, this plan of reconciliation. I want to see the pieces fit together because it shows me the love of God. I want to experience Jesus speaking to my heart. I don't want to come to it to check off some stupid box that the church told me I had to do. I want to come to it because it's the living word of God and it speaks to my heart. And when you come and you first start reading the Bible, I'm going to tell you, for every Body. There's going to be blocks of it that you don't understand. But if you'll come to it and you will ask God, speak to my heart, and you'll begin to read. God, you, you won't understand it all, but God is going to begin to give you nuggets. Nuggets, these little nuggets of truth. And, and it's going to begin to speak to your heart. And, and it's going to create in you a hunger for more. And then you're going to find that down the road, all of those pieces, all of the pieces that he gave you, that they're going to begin to connect together. And you're going to get really even more excited because you're going to see how 66 books written over all these years by 40 or so authors tell the same story. You press in. You press in. You press in through prayer. You ask God, fill me. God, show me your glory. God, move in my life, move in your church, not connection church, your church. God, don't let us be a church that has this form of godliness, but denies the power of God. Don't let us be like an egg, right? It looks good on the outside. It's got this little shell, right? But on the inside, it's a mess. And it cracks, it can't withstand the stress. Listen, that's how so much of our life is. Why? Because we draw our strength, not from God, not through the spirit, not through truth, not through God's word made flesh, Jesus. We draw our strength through what we can produce. We press into God, that's the source of our strength. Luke eight forty five. Jesus is 
is, is walking through a, a village and people begin to crowd around him. And, and it says, uh, the disciples tell him, look, look, people are crowding and pressing against you. There was a big crowd, a mob. What does it look like to press into God? It's, it's exactly that, it's pressing in, it's the crowd, it's coming around him. It's realizing if I can touch the hem of his garment, if I can just get to him, you've changed everything. Everything changes. My circumstances may not change, but everything in me begins to change. The way I see it, the way I look at it. And today to end the service, I just wanna give us that opportunity once again. Listen, that we press into him, that we ask him, Lord, lift the veil, this deception that's over the church. Don't let us be led astray by worldly teaching or philosophy or what we see, God. Let us walk in the power of the spirit and the power of your truth. God, you, listen, he has reconciled us to himself. That means we have become one with him. We have been made right with him. How can we not take advantage of the amazing privilege of pressing into him now that we can? So we're going to do, I'm going to ask you, if you will, will you stand, will you stand with me this morning? I'm going to ask you this morning, listen. If you're here and look, you, you know that the ministry of reconciliation, listen, you know that you have not come to that place of faith in Jesus. You've not come to that place of faith in Christ. But today the Lord is speaking to your heart. You know that today's the day of salvation for you. You know that today the Lord is stirring you to faith in Christ. And if today you're saying yes to a relationship with Jesus, I want you to raise your hand right where you are. So that's me, I need that, I need a relationship with Christ. I don't have it, I've never trusted in Jesus as my savior, never had a relationship with God through him. I know I'm not right with him, but today you say, I know that God's leading me to this. Listen, we're gonna take just a minute and we're gonna begin to worship God. We're going to exalt him this morning. I want you to press into him. I want you to set your heart on him. Listen, maybe you need to close your eyes, not because it's what you do in worship, but so you're not distracted by anything else. But if you will set your mind's eye on Christ, if you will set your heart on him, let's begin to worship and exalt him. Let's begin to elevate his name, not the name of connection, not anything else, not, not anything other than the name of Christ. Let's begin to lift him up. This is what I know that is true in the scripture that if we'll seek him first, if we'll seek him and, and, and his kingdom and his righteousness, that everything else begins to fall into place. That's true of our individual lives, but I believe it's true of the church as a whole. If we will pursue him, press into him, he will move in our lives. Listen, the great truth of scripture is that when we draw near to him, he draws near to us. And this time, listen, if, if you're here and you, you say, look, I... 
know the Lord's stirring in my heart and you want to be prayed for. You say, look, I need more of the Spirit of God. I need, I need more of Him. I want more of Him. Man, I, I want you to come and we're going to be here to pray. We're going to be here to pray for people here at the altar. You want more of God. Listen, that's a good thing. Let's not grow complacent and apathetic. Let's keep pressing into Him, walking in His love, realizing who He is, what He's done. We're gonna pray and then we're gonna worship. Lord, thank you so much for your heart for us and your grace, the power of who you are. Lord, we worship you today. We praise you today. We thank you, Lord, for the power of your grace and love. Lord, we exalt you today. We exalt you today in Jesus' name.